You are listening to the Bondzilla Podcast. The Bondzilla Podcast is a bi-monthly analysis of two of cinema's longest-running franchises, James Bond and Godzilla. This week, the Bondzilla boys catch up to the Bond franchise, take a look at the most recent release, and the return of Ernst Stravo Blofeld. It's 2015's Spectre. James Bond. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to our next edition of the Bonzilla Podcast, the newest edition as of right now, but also possibly not the newest edition if you're listening somewhere later down the line. Yeah. Like out of order? Mm, like, yeah. Oh, like if, they, if they're if they catching up. Right. Because like, if they're listening next week or two weeks from now, really, because the next week there would still be new no episode, but two weeks from now, three weeks... Four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. They could be listening to I do, many of our other future episodes. I do appreciate that that all that little ramble there stemmed from you missed your cue coming in, or at yeah. least you think you did. I thought you could have gotten away with it, but no. then you overcompensated. Before we get into our movie today, is that lots of Bond news? Yes. For so, today. Um, as we are approaching the next Godzilla movie, very very close. Uh, we're still a little bit away from Bond twenty five, but we finally have gotten. It official some official news, um, not just some official news, a lot of official news. Um, we still don't have a title, mm-hmm. still no title for this mysterious Bond Twenty Five, um, but we do have. Maybe that's the title, Bond Twenty Five. That'd be very lame. Yeah, and then it's he has to fight twenty four other Bonds. <laughs> or or it's like Mario sixty four. Are, are but... you telling me you made a James Bond? Out of another James Bond. Shout out to the Gemini trailer, the only trailer that has Gemini, ever mansplained to me. Gemini Man. Gemini Man, whatever. whatever. Gemini is a completely different movie. Uh, whatever. Anyway, uh, so Bond 25. We don't have a title yet, but we do have a, a, a large cast and a synopsis of the movie. Ooh. Ooh. So what should we uh, go over first? The synopsis or the cast? I mean, I don't know. You're... you're, you're... It's your decision. All right. Here's a synopsis, Will. Why don't you listen in uh-huh. for Craig's final Bond movie, Bond 25. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the official synopsis. Bond has left active service and is enjoying a tranquil life in Jamaica. His peace is short-lived when his old friend, Felix Leiter, from the CIA, turns up asking for help. A mission to rescue a kidnapped scientist turns out to be a, a far more treacherous than expected leading Bond on the trail of a mysterious villain armed with dangerous new technology. So uh, we've got a lot of the Craig tropes here. Bond yeah. kind of being semi-retired. Right. Uh, you know, having... He's, a, he's, a, he's rogue, but on the books rogue. Yes. He's officially rogue. He's, he's officially rogue. You yeah. know, he's, uh, uh, he's uh, going after some technology as well. Mm-hmm. And I know there's been kidnappings in these movies as well. Yeah. We don't really know much else about but i think a lot of this is important given who's in the movie yes it's very it was very so telling. um we've also know that uh, our entire regular bond cast is back so um craig for his last bond production mm-hmm. uh ray fines and ben winshaw and uh yeah. harris mm-hmm. are all back as uh m and q and money penny uh some probably some of the biggest news to be quite honest is that like felix Slider is going to be back 
and it's going to be Jeffrey Wright again. Yeah. Um, which makes Jeffrey Wright the first man to play Felix Slider in three different movies, mm-hmm. um, breaking uh, his previously tied record with David Hedison, who had played it in uh, Live and Let Die and License to Kill. So Wright is the new mostly played um, Felix Slider. Uh, we also have another returning character, um, which has been rumored for a while, but this is confirmation that Leia Seydoux mm-hmm. will be returning as a Dr. Madeline Swan, yeah. who... We'll uh, talk about we'll more talk in about this more episode. Today, yeah. So, yeah, but uh, we do have some new cast as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have um, confirmation as well that Rami Malek is going to be playing the villain. Right, uh, we don't right. know any other information, but he is going to be playing the villain of this movie. Um, we also have um, Billy Magnuson, mm-hmm. uh, who is in Game Night. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll be interested to see what kind of play that role he plays. Uh, we have uh, Dolly... Ben Sala, he's on The Flash, I guess. Um, I'm not sure. Don't know, really know. Uh, some of these people. Uh, Lashana Lynch mm-hmm. from uh, Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. You had to yeah. tell me about that. Standout one. of Captain Marvel, in my opinion. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so and, that's awesome. And also Ana de Armas, who was in Blade Runner 2040. Yeah, that was like the big one where I'm like, I, I'm glad because I actually like her quite a bit. Um, like, so did you, did you see Blade Runner 2049? Uh, I actually did yes yeah so like i i thought she she was a highlight in that movie so it'll be interesting uh to see what she does even though my hopes are never high for when a female gets uh, casted in a bond movie and mm. what what they're gonna do so it's like well i mean we'll it's also but it's also interesting because with with the returning bond girl in in uh leia Sado, mm-hmm. um it'll be interesting to see kind of like you know how much of a role does she play you know, does she go with? Do they do the like Honor Majesty's Secret Service? And well, that's kind, kind of, of almost the what feeling this, you get. The feeling you get like leading into this movie because yeah. my my thing is like I just uh, I don't know. I I have to see it. I just I have to. See no, it I'm in I'm in that boat. There's too. this level of like I mean I'm still on this train. Like if Rami Malek, who is a villain, and then they'd be like, oh, and his scary technology, and he's going to rule the world with the... My which, thing is... Which like, this series officially, and we'll talk about it more in the movie, has run that into the ground. The, the only thing that'll make it exciting is if they do it, like, if they go to, like, a more over-the-top, like, sci-fi thing, where he has, like, these, like, you know, nanomachines yeah. that's, like, taking over people or something. And this is something we'll talk Bond's about. Bond's never going to do that. Again, I mean, like, the problem is, like, here's my problem, and I mean, and I think this is actually something we'll talk about once we get to Spectre, is that... All these other franchises now have eclipsed Bond as like, you know, Bond used to be like, oh, here's the crazy over the top villain plan. Yeah. And now all these other franchises do it. And I feel like just it's just Bond needs to get back to that point. Well, it's it's crazy because you're right. I think like when you look at all these, I mean, Kingsman was like the big one where it's like this is kind of what everybody wants from their Bond movie. Yeah. And then you have. Like, and then if you want, like, crazy, cartoony stuff, but in the real world, you have, like, the Fast and the Furious movies. And then if you want, like, the crazy action and the stunts and the world traveling, you have the Mission Impossible franchise. Something's got to give. And I feel like, I don't know if you, it's just Craig. And his name is Daniel Craig. (laughs) Well, I mean, this is going to be his last one, so. Well, okay, so that was, like, another thing. Like, so there have been pretty, it seems, has there been an official statement or is it just kind of, like, official but just not? explicitly said that it is his last one it's just it's officially his last okay it's a hundred percent but like okay so like, and if this is some reason it's not his last then they're making the biggest mistake of their lives but so i've so people have been reaching out to me listeners of the podcast and like i've seen uh just rumors and information coming up that it's just like like craig is coming back for these but 
it's kind of like they it seemed like they had to twist his arm a little bit to come back mm-hmm. and like like the broccolis and everybody they want him they want to do this last one and i i wonder if some of that is because they want to go out on a high note but like if just start over like well i i think that, but that i think that's been the real debate is that like i've you know we've talked about it numerous times when talking about kind of the wacky production of bond 25 yeah which again is one of those things where usually for these bond you know these bond anniversary films or these bond you know um you know this is like uh milestone film yeah it's 25 yeah we'll see uh it, it's just like uh, th- there's just this sense of like uh all but right I, we but have i to- guess before that we get to this uh you know t- before we get to bond 25 we do have to talk about Bond 24, mm-hmm. which turns out to be Spectre, mm. released in 2015. Th- this, it just feels like a hurdle to get over, mm-hmm. like these next two movies. Yeah. Like, it's just like, just do the new one. I, I, I just think, like, because it's just, they left it on such a place where you could have just, I don't know if there's more story to be told here. Well, like there's always, but I, I actually almost feel like part of the problem with this movie is like they keep on like, with all due respect, I think they keep on thinking there's a story to be told. No, that this is a James Bond movie. It's yeah. not. It's like it, it is built a legacy off of not necessarily having a story to be told. Right, like <laughs> kind of things being in and out of continuity as you need them. Yeah, you know, like the DC hyper time, which is like I mean, like to bring it up, and then we'll get into the production of this movie. But like, I mean, like. I get it. Like, the Mission Impossibles have that, like, oh, like, it will Ethan Hunt do what it takes? But it's like, come on. It's all about, it's whatever the bad guy's doing, it's whatever the mission is. Mm-hmm. That's all that really matters. Like, like James Bond lives in that, and every now and then you could do something, but it lives in that territory of, like, the heist film or, like, the, the mission of the day action film. Like, you don't need to, like, dive deep and tell, like, this rich narrative and story into it and i think i think that has shot this fran this version of the franchise in, a, in the foot yes okay. for like i agree go for like getting into that but in more like in not the best of ways but in kind of some ways it's almost like when you go back through the history and we've talked about these productions it's almost that having the writer strike happen for quantum of solace and then them doubling down on it being about quantum almost kind of really paved the way for what the rest of this was going to be sure, in terms of sure. kind of trying to connect everything up all the time. Whereas like if that original version of if that original version of Quantum of Solace, whatever it was going to be called or whatever it may have been, where it wasn't going to as involve quantum and kind of be its own individual adventure, mm-hmm. you know, who knows like how you know, if they would have still gone back to those connections and stuff like that. Well, uh, unfortunately we don't need to worry about quantum because uh, it is uh, we're given the proper bad guy yeah. uh, organization in the form of those octopus labeling specter mm-hmm. people. Yes. Individuals. Inspector. Group. Released Incorporated. in 2015. EST mm-hmm. or ETS. Which mm-hmm. one is it? Is it EST or ETS? Like when it's like, since this, like established, right? So is it EST? Yes. Established. Yes. Yeah. I don't know which one. I don't know what you were talking about. Yeah. Like it's like, oh, EPS, UPS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This time, I'm gonna keep going unless you continue. So well, it's like I'm, I'm waiting for you out. to stop so I can. I, you know, I can't. Like you got to get stop and then I'll stop. But all it's right, like until then. All right, we're gonna start so, then. Okay. We're all gonna right. start. All right. We're we're in Skyfall's release mm-hmm. in November 2012. Yes. And EST 2012. It's not. That's not. It's not the proper <laughs> usage at all. 
we're in November 2012. Uh-huh, Skyfall okay. been released. Yo, major money. Yeah. Major love from the critics and big audiences. Big coin. Big coin. Hashtag big coin. Um, and immediately, like, Eon, Barbara Broccoli, Michael G. Wilson want to go immediately in production on the next one. Want to go right inside um, to what would be Bond 24. Um, in fact, originally towards um, the end of the pre-production for Skyfall, it had been discussed that they were going to do it, you know, do the back-to-back thing with those Bond. That Bond 20 with Skyfall and Bond 24 would have been shot back-to-back. Mm-hmm. Um, but Craig and Mendez both said no to that. Craig said no because he was like, that's insane. I, I put my body on the line for all these movies. I don't want to do back-to-back. I need a little break in between before I go insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Mendez had said no because his intention was only to do one Bond movie. He was going to do Skyfall. That was going to be it. He said at, at in like kind of the press after Skyfall's release in December that he was not going to come back for Bond 24. And he reiterated that in March of 2013. Mm-hmm. So they start immediately getting back to their team, Purvis and Wade, John Logan, who also did some rewrites on Skyfall, is involved in the Bond 24 production process. Mm-hmm. But they want to kind of get a director very quickly. Um, there's a lot of names thrown around. Um, Ang Lee, his name is, is put out there. Uh, director of Gemini Man. Yes. <laughs> uh, but really, there's three options. They have three options they really want. Uh, their first option that they would like to have in a perfect world is Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. Um, this was, you know, after Inception had come out and all that stuff about Nolan being a fan of the Bond franchise and, you know, being his favorite film being, you know, Honor Majesty's first Well, Service I remember Nolan. there being, like, a significant amount of chatter about, mm-hmm. like, Nolan and Bond and, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so there was, there was really kind of like, oh, if he likes it and, you know, he likes kind of on a secret service, he could do something interesting with it. You know, he's kind of that, you know, he's a big name director. He Mm -hmm. did that with the, you know, the Batman franchise. What would he do with Bond? Um, but, uh, Nolan's team immediately said no. They had other projects they were working on. And Nolan has said after that, that he would only want to do a Bond movie if he was the first one in a new Bond. Mm -hmm. He didn't, he did not want to go into like Craig and have already all that established. He would want to kind of put his name on it. Right. That makes sense. Um, the next person that they offered and actually offered a contract and there were discussions was, uh, Nicholas Winding Refn. Or, oh wow! Yeah, drive, drive, uh, and only God forgives. Only God forgives. Neon demon. Yes. Oh, ooh, interesting. So, uh, so there were discussions with him, but just kind of the nature of nobody really knew what the film was going to be yet, and sort of his again, his other interest in you know kind of he wanted to do more movies, sort of like Only God Forgives, which sure, was just yeah. around that time, which would eventually become the Neon Demon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he turned it down. So their third option was just to get Sam Mendes back. Mm -hmm. Everybody really liked working with Mendes. They thought that his voice really brought something to Skyfall, and that's what made that film so successful. But So Mendes had already said, this is past March 2013, that he said no already. But later in the summer, he does say that he's going to sign on to do Bond 24. Mm -hmm. And the difference between March and June is that Eon and Barbara and Michael have informed... Mendez, that they are currently working on getting the Spectre rights back into the hands of the Bond team. 
So this goes back to when Purvis, Wade, and Logan are kind of discussing the script. They've said that they've enjoyed bringing back, you know, Money, Penny, and Q since, you know, the, they weren't in those first couple. But they really want to go more all in on kind of bringing back some of the classic nature of the Bond franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Spectre was something that had sometimes been discussed even around the Brazen era. Just kind of, you know, pitched like, what if we did this? But the the lawsuits around then just didn't allow it to happen. Um, but now they felt there was an opportunity, mostly because McClory was dead at this point, uh, that they could do it. So just a quick pre- quick review. Mm-hmm. Kevin McClory co-wrote Thunderball as a script with Ian Fleming. Fleming published it a book. McClory sues. McClory gets the film rights to that book. Makes Never Say Never Again in the 80s. Tries to make another movie uh, based on Thunderball in the 90s. Uh, after tomorrow, like around tomorrow never dies, doesn't work, uh, and then those basically the rights are kind of put up in holding and litigation for a very long time. Uh, McClory dies in 2011, and so now with the um, negotiations being done with his estate, there's a lot more promise that this could possibly happen. They don't get the Spectre rights until um, November 2013. Uh, so kind of the production on this film is a little delayed and they start kind of working on possible alternate ideas, but really that core idea is like, we're going to get these Spectre rights back and this is what we want to do. So eventually in yeah, November, 2013, the McClory estate and Eon settle and the Eon team now has full control of all the bond rights. Mm. In fact, in this day and age, the only thing that the bond team does not own in relation to bond is never say never again because even the 1967 casino royale is now within the holding of mgm and eon that they hold the film and distribution rights to that movie based on other kind of deals right so basically now the bond team has carte blanche for anything in the bond books anything in the bond canon they have it at their disposal um so mendez continues to develop a script with the team um, not just taking inspiration from the Spectre trilogy of books that Ian Fleming does, uh, but also the short story, Octopussy, which we've talked about on this podcast before. Uh, the Octopussy story that Ian Fleming writes features a character named Hans, Hans Oberhausen, mm-hmm. um, who is a childhood mentor of Bonds uh, that they come across in that short story. Mm. And... We can see Mendez takes a lot of inspiration from this idea of, well, this mentor character of Bond, you know, Hans Oberhauser, you know, all this sort of stuff. Well, what, what we could we could meld something like that. We can continue this exploration of Bond as an orphan from Skyfall, mm. kind of connect that thematically and kind of bring that up to the surface and do something cool with it. Alongside bringing back the Spectre organization and, of course, mm-hmm. Ernst Stravel Blofeld. Um, so as the... This script kind of comes together. Um, Mendez also wants to continue it to involve the rest of the Bond team. Um, he wants to do more with Q and Money Penny in this movie that they've established, and even M, uh, as they've established in uh, Skyfall. Kind of, he likes that core group now that it's really been established mm-hmm. that they can kind of, you know, kind of do more of the team element that even bought previous Bond movies that he enjoys kind of lacked sometimes. Um, so I'm going to get into the casting. Everybody does come back. Uh, Craig finds Meharis and Winshaw, uh, Wishaw, not Winshaw. I keep saying Wishaw. Uh, 
the major part that needs to be cast, of course, is the character of Franz Overhausen. But that's the character in the movie that uh, is opposing Bond, mm-hmm. and again turns out to be Ernst Strabo Blofeld. And the spoilers. Least, of, I said spoilers. I said that earlier. Yeah, well, you need to say it louder. Uh, so interestingly enough, the part of Franz Overhausen um, was written with Gary Oldman in mind. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and it was going to be a little bit different than how it's presented in the movie, um, but it was going to be like a Gary Oldman type of deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oldman did not want to commit to the length of the uh, production because mm-hmm. it was still going to be a very lengthy production. Right. He had other projects that he had in mind, so he did not accept the offer. So their second option was Christoph Waltz, um, who had been you know kind of a rising star, has just won two straight Oscars. Um, with or two straight Oscars for two straight films with Tarantino, um, and you know, the story of Waltz is always really interesting in that he was just a kind of a local German actor and then discovered for um, *Glorious Bastards* mm-hmm. and now has become a you know a recognizable Hollywood player. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Waltz said that uh, in the movie, uh, in terms of the writing of it, that he he will admit that the role was not written for him. But he said, quote, when I came aboard, the role grew, evolved, and mutated with me. Mm-hmm. So he basically, once Christoph Waltz came in, mm-hmm. they kind of altered the character and the speaking tones and stuff like that to kind of match a Christoph Waltz performance. Sure. Okay. Uh, uh, we also have Leia Seydoux, mm-hmm. as we mentioned earlier. Uh, is her first appearance as Dr. Madeline Swan. Uh-huh. Um, Leia came to her audition drunk. <laughs> because she was very nervous so oh, she no. did a little bit of drinking did a little bit too much drinking that's hysterical um lost her script at one point uh and then flubbed her lines on the audition and then uh she uh said that she she had just asked if she could come back another day uh-huh. the producers were still interested in her despite kind of the mishaps and so she they said okay you can come back tomorrow and <laughs> the next day she did much better uh-huh. and eventually got the part um this marks I think the first time that we have someone who was both in the Mission Impossible movie and a That's Bond true. movie because yeah. she was in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol mm-hmm. and now she is the lead Bond woman in this movie. Yeah. Also, Dave Batista. Yes, is in this Batista movie as Mr. Hinks. Yeah. Um, now this is right after his coming out party. Yes. With, so uh, yeah, B- Batista had been wrestling for Cause, years because this movie is year this was 2015 released, 2015 yeah so we would we, have been the previous year right so batista had left pro wrestling pro left the wwe with the with the intention of pursuing a acting career um he only you know, got into small parts but really made his big role his big casting break in marvel's guardians of the galaxy as mm-hmm. drax the destroyer um and the the role kind of fell into his lap because they they wanted like someone um very, they wanted someone from an athletic background, very physical. Um, the idea was they wanted someone big, but that was fast, that could move fast. And and with Dave's experience in professional wrestling, that's a major part, you know, of of that, enter, you know, sport mm-hmm. essentially. Um, now, Mendez knew even from kind of the stuff around Guardians is that you know Batista is very funny in that movie. He has a lot of lines, and the Hinks character was going to be. Um, 
a silent, you know, a silent henchman type. Right. In that style of Odd Jaws. Uh, Odd Jaws. Odd Jaws. Odd Job and Jaws. But he's, got, jo- he's got teeth on his hat. <laughs> um, and and Mendez was like, well, if Batiste is really kind of coming up with this comedy now, that's kind of what he's making his name for right now. He might say no to this. But Batista was like, actually, I'm a huge Bond fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said in an interview in 2011 that his one of his goals as breaking into the film industry was to be in a Bond movie. Yeah. Because um, and- he, he was very, like, I remember during the time, and he was very embracing, like, being, like, the Bond henchman. Yes. And, like, those were always, like, the cool, like, he, he quote, he cited like jaws and yeah. Aja was being like very iconic and very much like he seemed to respect that that role mm-hmm. uh and he was very well respected on set mm-hmm. um he actually worked out with daniel craig a lot uh went on the set and he had nothing but great things to say about craig even though batista did admit he was a little intimidated by christoph waltz uh, he said that Christoph Waltz seems like a nice guy, but sometimes he'll give you that look that makes you feel really small. Uh huh. Well, he's very. Uh, I mean, uh, Batista's shown to be extremely humble with his <laughs> acting talent. Like he, he's very much like puts himself in his own place. It's it's very it's very interesting to see all the time. Um, we also have another Bond girl in this movie, played by Monica Bellucci. She plays the wife of the guy who he kill- that mm-hmm. Bond kills in the beginning. Yeah, I mentioned this specifically because she was originally um up for the role uh terry hatcher's role in tomorrow never dies paris carver Mm. and uh at that time it was a very famous interview with pierce brosnan who said that monica bellucci was up for this role but the fools didn't cast her Mm. um so now she gets her chance to finally be in a bond movie yeah um we also have some but, other, but also the headlines surrounding that. Like, yes, yeah, yeah. She's yes, she is the oldest woman to ever play a Bond girl. Well, that was like the big thing. That was a big uh, thing for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah like that, that was that, like how they how they he, unveiled she, her. She is like the oldest person that Bond does have sex with in right. any of these movies. Um, one last one I'll mention because we do have some other returning people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will save for the movie itself. Uh, but we have Andrew Scott as C. Yeah, that was another um, one. Uh, who was real name in the movie is Max Denbig. Um, actually, the original casting for this mm-hmm. was uh, Chitwe Ejiofor. Oh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not good. You know, I'm not good with pronouncing names. Yeah, uh, but, <laughs> but, they, but they cast Andrew Scott specifically because he was going to be a lot cheaper um, yeah. of a person. But they actually had like the paperwork on the table and. They were gonna sign. Who also like had like recent success because he's most like at least to me was known as Moriarty from the BBC Sherlock series mm-hmm. and um, and when you think about it, it's kind of like the cast is a who's who of like people that would get you excited for a movie like this because you have like I mean you get Christoph Waltz who everybody loves from like you know the Tarantino movies and then you got like the unusual but oh we liked him in this other thing with like Adam Scott and then like Dave Bautista's rising star you're like he was just in Guardians of the Galaxy we love him put him in. So it is kind of like a, uh, it, it almost feels like a fan casted movie, kind of a little yeah. bit. Yeah. But I mean, but there's nothing wrong with that at all. But it, it, it definitely was almost a cast engineered to get people mm-hmm. excited for it. Yes, indeed. Um, so this is finally coming together, even with the delays, waiting for the Spectre rights to clear up, uh, and like you know, you know the 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 wait kind of refreshes Mendez and Craig. So when production finally begins in December 2014. Um, for the movie releasing in November 
2015, mm-hmm. there's a lot of excitement around the project. Mm-hmm. Um, just a couple of production notes cool. um, before Let's we get, get into it. the movie. Um, so, interestingly, Mendez also wanted to do more with the cars in this movie. Um, he felt that, like, previous, especially the previous Craig movies, really hadn't done enough with the gadget car. Um, so, he wanted to kind of bring that element back. Um, which brings us... Hey, part of the, uh, part of the, um, you know, path to, you know, redemption is admitting your mistakes. And, uh, so the, the realization is good. I appreciate that. Um, so very interestingly, there are two cars featured in this film, both very interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, the Jaguar CX-75 and the Aston Martin DB10. Yes. What's interesting about the Jaguar CX-75 is that it was actually a, uh, hybrid basically prototype that was put in production in 2011 and then canceled in 2012 and basically saw a very limited market, you know, being out there. Uh, and then uh, Mendez went up to them and was like, hey, can you recreate this car that you canceled in 2012 for this movie? So basically they, like Jaguars, like just made these cars specifically for the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the Aston Martin DB10 was basically the same way, that they he went to Aston Martin and realized that they were basically just making a car just for this Bond movie. Um, so both of them kind of feature very much into the movie, and those car companies have had both Jaguar and Aston Martin have had very big histories in terms of the Bond films giving them more success. They were very eager that even if these cars weren't actually on the market at all, Mm -hmm. they were very eager to just kind of give them, you know, hey, here's some new cars for you. (laughs) So they were looking for um, a lot of different places to shoot. They wanted kind of that hot and cold dynamic going back to Quantum of Solace. Sure, okay, the classic. (laughs) Uh, So they do a little bit of filming in the Austrian Alps uh, Uh for that, you know, that snow sequence that we have where he finds Madeline Swan and then the chase when she gets kidnapped. A couple of things about that sequence is that um, they have the kind of the plane that was the way they did the plane sliding on the ice was it was basically two cranes on either side of it, you know, controlling it, moving it towards kind of the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then all of that was obviously done, you know, edited out in post-production. Um, the other one that was most interesting is that they, the, you know, for the the production design and the look of the movie, they wanted this to kind of be a little overcast in the sky. Um, but the problem was is that they would always have really sunny afternoons. Mm-hmm. So they would, what would happen is they would shoot in the morning when it's just kind of overcast and, you know, the, the sun's coming up and everything like that. And the roads would be frozen. Then in the middle of the day, they would do the rehearsing while it was sunny out. The roads would melt away. And then after the rehearsing was done, they would shoot at night. They'd get a couple hours, but the roads were frozen again. Mm. So they had to kind of compensate for, well, we practiced this with the roads not iced. But now that we we have it with the perfect sky, the roads are iced now. So we got to be extra careful. Got it. With that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we also have um, the, the car chase in Italy uh-huh. uh, around Rome. Uh, that one was very nerve-wracking for most of the Bond team because they got a they bought a big break by being allowed to film in Rome. But the thing about filming in Rome is that basically around every quarter there's some sort of historical landmark or some, you know, some building that hasn't been, you know, touched in, you know, thousands of years or anything something like that. So, they had to be very careful with the way they were doing this chase as to not, you know, um damage anything. You know, it's kind of a big deal that they were allowed to film in Italy. Uh and in fact, they actually did kind of an old, in an old school Bond way. They kind of um, improvised a little bit just in terms of where to shoot because there was always kind of a surprise around every corner in 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 that city that you could kind of do an interesting dead end or an interesting kind of alleyway. Mm-hmm. That they're like, oh, what if we did this one this way? 
Um, uh, while filming in Italy, um, Craig first injures his knee, and that does get re-aggravated when he gets to the Alps. Uh, so they do have to kind of halt production for a little bit for uh, that purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, during that whole process, uh, actually Craig and Batista do a lot of work together in terms of coming up with these action sequences. Mm-hmm. And even when Craig is out on the injured list, essentially, uh, they're still talking about what they're going to do for this train fight, which comes up after Craig has healed from his injury. Um, also, of course, towards the end of production, we get to this big opening sequence production. Yeah, this in, is the big one. In Mexico City. Yeah. Uh, this is another huge get for the team. Um, Mendez remembers that in one of their first meetings with the officials of Mexico City, they were like, oh, we might let you do this, this helicopter sequence. And the fact that they were going to let him do it at all was a big deal because usually there's no air traffic or no flyovers at all in in that part of the city over the kind of central square area yeah. of Mexico City. It still takes them about a year, basically right up until they shoot this, um, to um, actually get the permission to do it. But eventually they do get that permission. So that last shot, the, the ending of the sequence does get to go into effect. Yeah. But the big deal about this one is the, the it's the, an infamous oneer. It's and an infamous oneer. By uh, by it, by that we mean it is a all done in quote unquote one take. Uh, in fact, it was six takes. Okay. Uh, so yeah. it's basically six six shots weaved together. Yeah. Um. And for those of you who don't know, that is con- like as much you maybe some of the less initiated have seen like oh it, like the big one take movies and they're not to diminish how impressive doing those are, but like they do hide like you know the cuts and the, yeah. and the and stuff like sometimes they do it legitimately but even when they have to hide the cuts it's still an, an impressive it's an feat. impressive feat um, um but it, it is uh that's how they do it yeah that opening sequence um features a parade uh surrounding the day of the dead celebration in mexico despite the fact that there has never been a parade or the day of the dead celebration in Mexico. They just kind of made that up for the movie. Mm-hmm. However, in you know life imitating art, the hype around Spectre in terms of, oh, this cool visual, the parade was so striking that officials in Mexico City ended up having a real Day of the Dead parade that year for the first time oh, ever. Oh, that's fun. Uh, just because people were kind of interested in it and it kind of you know helped the, the hype of the movie. That is, that is fun. So, I like that. Um, but that day they shot with about... Um, 1500 extras in mm-hmm. the streets which then over digital displays was multiplied to be you know tens of thousands of people um and it was very much like funny because the production you know crew had said that because they were doing the one take thing and it was kind of this was like the all day like they were just doing this take to do this shot mm-hmm. they would have to have people just re you know redo like their exact actions just so they can get everything but the extras were very much game for it. And in fact, they had a live band in between and it, people were just got more energized throughout the day. You know, Craig was kind of both involved with some of those uh, one shot takes, but not because obviously he's under a mask, but he does get very much involved again with the stunts and, and the producing of the stunts in these movies that he's been around the block three times. Now he's very familiar with, with what he wants to do and he's more comfortable, even though he is getting injured still, um, <laughs> he is more comfortable with doing his own stunts. Yeah. I mean like the, the biggest thing for this one was like leading into it. I think this may be a good segue into the movie. Or, are we at that point? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I remember this being like everybody's hyped up for the next Bond again. Mm-hmm. And then they, there was like a good anticipation for what the next one was going to be. Everybody was excited when it's like, oh, it's like Spectre. Like it felt like the first time where it's like a lead up 
into the bond, which is interesting because we had Casino Royale that got everybody on board and then Quantum of Solace and that kind of like came and went and then Skyfall came out and everybody's excited for that. And, and now it's like you're, you, there was like yeah. like big movie anticipation for this one And I one think too, because you got to remember too that like this is also big movie f- anticipation for like the other thing about Skyfall that kind of gave it its anticipation is that the bond, you know, the hype around Bond 50 and, and the marketing in terms of this is the 50th anniversary of Dr. No is a movie that the Bond franchise has been around now for 50 years, has gone through, and now this is kind of, you know, the big, you know, coming out of like, here, it's 50 years. Whereas Spectre's, a lot of its hype was built around Spectre's coming back uh, and that this is the follow-up to Skyfall, which was very popular, you know? Mm-hmm, yeah. But Because um, a lot of times, this is real quick, a lot of yeah. times when you get this type of hype, it's either for a milestone movie or a new Bond. Like, you, you a lot of times, mm-hmm, once yeah. they settle into... Oh, like, you know, like when after like Goldeneye kind of had that like build up of like it's the new Bond, we're back after six years. But then once you get into Tomorrow Never Dies, World Enough is like, okay, now we're back. Like, oh, we're just excited for the Bond movie. Yeah. Same thing with like, you know, with more in those beginning ones. It's like, you know, there was kind of that lead up and hype around all like, oh, it's finally a new Bond. You know, Connery's done, sure. but we got We got to hype up more now. But by the time you get to the middle of those movies, like Moonraker and Free Eyes Only, it's just like, okay, now we're doing more, more, more movies. So it's very interesting well- to see kind of like. People were excited for Craig and Casino Royale and kind of the darker nature, then Quantum and all that stuff surrounding it with the writer strike and, and that year in cinema um, and kind of everything else that was going on was kind of like took a step down, but Skyfall brought that hype up. But now it's like, okay, we're excited for a Craig movie. We're excited for Craig's fourth movie, Expector and everything. It just kind of built that up. Well, you also have to remember, like at this point, you we're living in a post-Avengers world. Mm-hmm. So the event movie is kind of changing too yes, like the uh, like true. anything of any significant importance that you have some sort of following on or cultural following on there is more of a big deal so you i guess you can kind of get away with this with like oh like it is a big deal anything about the next bond yeah. because and i think that shows the power of the franchise is that it is a cultural touchstone like the next james bond and everybody's behind no matter how the last one did it seems like everybody's behind like at least what is the next one going to be um but all right well uh, with a brand new world comes a brand new movie um let's get in uh to watching specter in which we find out who it was the whole time was it him was it her who was it james let's find out (laughs) who was the author of all his pain You came across me so many times, and yet you never saw me. Le Chiffre, green, silver. All dead. That's right. A nice pattern developed. You interfered in my world. I destroyed yours. Or did you think it was coincidence that all the women in your life ended up dead? Vesper Lynn, for example. And then, of course, your beloved M, gone forever. Me. It was all me, James. It's always been me, the author of all your pain. We're back. Yes. Okay. So, um, so where did we leave off last time? So the snap happened. Fifty percent of all life in the universe. Wait, no, well, no, 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 no. 
But here's what happened uh, last time. So both Batman and Superman found out <laughs> that their parents were named Martha, <laughs> and they were like, oh, we're friends now. Listen, but then I, Superman sacrifices himself against Doomsday. Well, no, 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 no. You're all wrong. Okay, so the last time Luke gave his life to protect the Resistance, right? Yeah. And then Kylo Ren got all mad about it. No, I think yeah. I think one more. Last time Tom Cruise did insane stunts, and this time Tom Cruise does more insane stunts. <laughs> but, but, like, I mean... I you know I don't want to make an executive decision here, but like you know I think another movie has come out that is a little bit more worth talking about, right? Like can, can we can we not because it's like like I said like, like this you just, movie you just want to make this an Endgame spoiler. Listen, podcast? I'm just saying like this movie wants to be a Marvel movie. Why don't we talk about an actual Marvel movie? <laughs> oh, fine, we'll talk about we'll talk Spectre. about Spectre. Um, so yeah, Spectre comes out, but also I think that we should take a little bit of time to be like we are now among talking with talking about this movie completely up to date. Yes, with yes, the Bond we are, movies. This is this is kind of up to date up until the next one comes out next year. Yeah. Uh, so this is kind of the final Bond movie on our Eon timeline. We've come so far, um, yet you wouldn't know watching this movie. Uh, <laughs> Um, so... So do you want to start how, with your thoughts, Will, or do you want oh to Oh, boy. Um, yeah. I, I don't think I can bury the lead. This is not good. <laughs> this, this movie... I was so baffled by how thin the story was mm-hmm. and how just oh my god i'm gonna sound really harsh on this one just i i want to be clear yeah. and i and i hate being harsh but it just i just was so taken aback by how just thin and hollow and the story was and how and i don't even want to say nonsensical it just seems like just so light but not like light in a good way not like light fun mm-hmm. just light just like like by the end of the movie, I had no idea. Like, or I had no. There, there was just no weight mm-hmm. to like anything going right, on yeah. in in the movie, and it didn't even have the pitfalls of like any Bond movie. Really, it was just none of the ridiculousness. It has none. It had none. Even none of the bad stuff of mm-hmm. any of the Bond movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like so, it's like so there is this level of like uh like what. Like, I almost can't blame, like, if you look at this for what it is, I almost can't blame that they want to try to go out on a more powerful note yeah. than this. Um, again, I would prefer if they just move on. Um, but, like, to me, like, the movie was kind of, was almost a little bit, like, aimless in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, and and it, like, all of it, like, n- it was making all these grand decisions, I, I felt, or at least decisions that they thought they were grand, but I'll, for the sake of the ar- argument, they're making all these big decisions, but not giving you any other context to how they work or connection uh, to the characters, really, even mm. though they say, like, here's the connection to the characters, but they don't tell you, like, what are the ramifications on that character? There's no really bigger af- themes that are at play effectively, I feel. Uh, because they want to give these big ideas, like once again, like it didn't even have that problem in Spectre or sorry Skyfall, where it sounds like it's smarter than it actually is. So they don't even like do that, right? Like they're just like all these like plot lines that like substitute an actual theme that are just like these weak, weightless uh, character and plot beats and decisions. I thought mm-hmm. I I and like it was just. 
by the end of it, I couldn't like really think of like anything like because I the things that I remember enjoying, I'm like, well, that's an interesting direction, and that's like, and like the the characters really don't have too much to do, and they like again, I in, in, the last thing I'll say is like this is like they need to just get back, and they almost seem to at the beginning of this movie. But they just need to get back to just doing a classic Bond on a mission movie because mm-hmm. right now they have lost – it felt like they had lost all the tank, the gas in the tank to tell a quote-unquote story about this Bond as a character. Yeah. And then not only did they run out of the fuel to do it, but it almost seems like in the first half of the movie they forgot that they were telling a story like that and then they just kind of like bring it up. Like at the end, by doing like another spoilers, another like, yep, he's had it, he's had enough of this life, which comes out of nowhere. There's just so many just problems. I don't know how else to say it yeah. in a way that, like, I'm sorry, like, I like, I don't even think like Quantum is as bad as this one, only because like Quantum at least has like its plot line and it is a little bit thin, but it's like at least it has some forward momentum and it's not long. This actually, what's the what's the runtime of this movie? Uh, this is actually the longest Bond. Movie. Really? Yeah. I, that may be the one positive thing I would say about it. Maybe it's because I've seen it before. It did not feel long. So that would be uh, that would be a positive. Yeah, it's hour 48. Okay. But, yeah, man, I just, like, I, I walked out of this one just being like, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't think I hated it as much as you did. Um, I still think there were some things I enjoyed about it. Uh, but... It very I I've said about this movie that and I said this when it first came out um that its strength and weakness lies in the same thing in that a lot of it what's funny about it to me is that a lot of it does feel in terms of the action and in terms of just kind of how some of the plot maneuvers does feel like a classic Bond movie but because it's also kind of tailored into what the modern Craig films is, it's just kind of splinters off into being like, well, we're, it's all connected, but also here's kind of its own thing. But yeah. not, is it, um, see, cause from, from just from the purely, the action sequences and the order of events, yeah. if you edited this movie, like slightly to take out the specter stuff, it really wouldn't feel out of place in terms of kind of that later more era. Like mm-hmm. around, like if you did this around Octopus, just in terms of how the pace of the movie and kind of the order of the action sequences and, and how he kind of meets characters and stuff like that doesn't feel out of place in that style, which I kind of like that is, there's kind of just that old school, like here's this, here's this kind of old school chase and here's kind of this sort of stuff. But because it's also layered in with all the the Craig kind of baggage of what they've been trying to do with connecting these movies up and the continuity of them, it also just kind of drags that down. Well, but also retroactively, too. Retroactively, which is kind of... Because that's the real thing about the connection of this movie is that I feel like there is there is an avenue for like, oh, you, want, you had Quantum and now you want Spectre. There's definitely an avenue where you kind of combine them or some or something where it's like this is the real revelation of it sure but the the way they do it oh is so bad so like it's just so it so does not make any sense it's so it's just like oh yeah remember quantum went out specter now there's like there's no effort oh, into actually oh i want to i no, want to get into it but i kind of want to wait to a whole like christoph waltz like 
conversation about him. But what I will say to kind of piggyback off of that is that, yes, there is this retroactive world building, essentially. Yeah. Hence why I say it wants to be a Marvel movie, because it does – it essentially pulls the – the events of this movie are a specific portion of this movie is connected to and responsible for all the other events in the other Craig movies. Okay, fine, whatever. The thing is, like, so it wants to do that retroactive connecting and world building, but it could not pick the worst possible ways to do it. Yes, absolutely. There's, it just feels like there was no effort. It was basically like, oh, well, we, we have Spectre now, so we're just going to do Spectre, but we still need to kind of wrap this up. So, oh, here's like, here's all these connections that you have. But none of them fit. Yeah. None of them make sense. In one case, it makes zero sense and actually retroactively completely derails the characters. Okay. Oh, God. Like, I, I have a whole thing about this, but like, let, let's at least get to the plot of what the movie all is. All right. So the, the, just the plot of the movie. The movie opens up with the gun barrel sequence, which is finally, fun. Yeah. Finally. That's the first thing that indicates that they're trying to do something classic Bond and that it's not like the other Craigs because uh, – <laughs> Remember, Casino had the gun barrel sequence integrated in the opening sequence. Uh, right. Quantum really didn't, didn't have it, it at all. Didn't have it at all. And Skyfall saves it for the end. Right. And all that, it's all cowardly. It's just, it's, that's what all those movies were. So to have it at the beginning, finally, <laughs> like. That was really, that was really It's intense. cowardly. Yeah. Like, what, what is the problem? Oh, the gun barrel sequence is too silly. It's an iconic thing about the franchise. Just do it. Well, okay. I will say that. I, I'll meet you halfway on it. Because I kind of get what they're doing in the first one where they're trying to really reinvent it. And they, they just want to do something different. Like, yeah. I would feel the same way because remember there was like that whole talk about like, oh, well, maybe like a Star Wars movie doesn't need to open with a crawl. And I'm like, no, no, no. It always needs a crawl, like at least the episodes. Like that's just part of the uniformity of it. But I get that they want to do something else. And it's annoying, but I get that in Spectre or in, sorry, in Skyfall, they try to do that. Now he's the Jam- the classic James Bond, you know, and here's the little thing. And it ends with like the anniversary logo. I get it. All, all that can, all that said, like it was nice to finally get it at the beginning yeah. of the movie. So, so yeah, it opens I'm up a little bit of devil's advocate. It on opens that up one. with this Day of the Dead sequence. Yeah, um, which is fine. Listen, like, was this around the time? You may remember this, but there came a time when I was just like, "All right, when are we going to stop being this impressed with one takes?" Was this around the time I was? Oh saying yeah, because I mean, this is after. This is I think this is the year after Birdman wins. Yeah, okay, picture? but this was like Birdman, and then it was like in like um. Uh, what's that show that everybody likes with Matthew McConaughey? Oh, um, True Detective. True Detective. It was in Daredevil. And it was like, I mean, it's cool. But like everybody was like, oh my God, cinematography has been reinvented. Like every single time yeah. it happened. So by this time, I'm like, like, guys, it's impressive. And I like it. And like, I think by the time we got to Creed, I was like, I was just like, all right, I get it. It's all filmed in one take. Like yeah. it's not the biggest thing. Like, mm-hmm. but that's just me. Like yeah. I should say, I, listen, I, should, I like a lot of shit that people I think, think is wrote. I, anyway, I do think so. it's it's fun. I think what's nice about this sequence is that it feels big. You know, they they kind of present. They it. do it well. And listen, I'm not disparaging it. It's very well, well done. And I'm, I'm just talking about because the one take part is a very like just the beginning of the sequence when Bond is in a. Uh, you know, a a skeleton costume, and yeah. he's just walking around, and he like you know escapes out a window. Yeah. I, I mean, overall, the whole sequence just feels big. I always found this really funny though, because it's also when you look at the marketing and even like the DVD or the the Blu-ray, like it all so so much of it features the imagery of the sequence, but it's really like it's it's the cold open. Yeah. Which has like the tangential connection, tangential connection to the rest of the movie, but it's just one of those things where it's always really funny just how much they 
they marketed the the skeleton aesthetic of yeah. it as, as if like oh we were fighting a bunch of skeleton dressed henchmen the entire time which obviously wasn't the movie I, although we did make the joke that like this movie would have been better if it was you know if they if they cocoed it and then bond had to go through yeah. through the actual day of the dead uh i i actually feel bad for that lady that he was uh bringing with him yeah. he because i think she was expecting to get laid i she would definitely was which is like i mean like come on like she seemed she seemed down and yeah. she like snuck around with him in that mask all the way. It's like, like that, so, that was a little rude. So basically, the, the sequence involves Bond knocking down a building and like a big helicopter fight and Bond escapes in a helicopter. Mm-hmm. And so we eventually find out after the opening song that this was an unauthorized mission. Mm-hmm. Of course it is. Given to him by the original M. Yeah. His original M, Judy Dench. Yeah. In death. But he's found some recordings that basically says you're looking for these people who go to Mexico City. You're looking for this, looking yeah. for that. Yeah, it was like a message that, like, in case she died, like she like is like, yeah. oh, this goes to Bond, and then it gives her like a, uh, it, it gives him like some clues on like this well, final. I mission. guess like the detail of it is is that it's she's wearing the same outfit she wears when Silva in Skyfall first like when she when he like really hacks into her system yeah and so she's like well if this is gonna lead to my death I have some other things for for you to do right essentially um, but we basically find out that he's investigating this bigger organization that's kind of might be doing all this different terrorist work around the world and also looking for the pale king in relation to this and then he's even if though he's suspended he basically gets out and starts investigating this mysterious octopus themed organization meanwhile there is this plot line where uh moriarty slash adam scott like slash are one of our villains of the movie who you is clearly identified as one of the villains of the movie fairly early on i feel um but um he he is proposing it's a merger right of like mi6 and uh by the way i just gotta correct you right now yeah you keep saying adam scott what's his name andrew scott Adam Scott is... Oh, Adam Scott, yeah. <laughs> it's Andrew Scott, sorry. Adam, Adam Scott is the comedian. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Which, so. But by the way... I wouldn't Ad, mind that. Adam Scott in that role would have been a hell of a, a hell of a thing to see. You know what? It, that would have actually been good because Adam Scott is... It took him a while for me to like see him as not the jerk from Step Brothers. <laughs> so like, and now I see him as like kind of like a cool, lovable guy. Yeah. But he can kind of play that... Yeah. Un, you would never suspect right. him he of, was of also, being a villain. Was he also a dick in Secret Life of Walter Mitty? Yes, he is. Yeah, he is. But um, so, uh, so meanwhile, Andrew Scott. Yeah. Um, what's it? Uh, Who, dig, dig, yes. Digby. Yes. Dig C. C. As as uh, Craig calls him, I'm just gonna call you C. Yes. Yeah, the emer- which first of all, basically, yeah, yeah. Never mind. He has the, there's this merger going on with MI6 that basically he's gonna bring his scary internet and uh, satellites and drones. Well, well, he's he's proposing that of course the double O system is obsolete. Of that course, we don't, we don't need spies anymore. Right? Where have I heard that before? Uh-huh. Um, and he's also saying that he what he's going to do, what he's proposing is this nine eyes system, and the nine eyes system is basically nine nations, nine major world nations coming together sharing and pooling their intelligence into one big pile mm-hmm. and so basically to help basically no trans like no, no ultimate transparency in the um 
in the sharing of spy and secret information sure. so that yeah. there are no more secret terrorist attacks or any, any anything that would happen is preventable when we have all the information. It's a giant it. worldwide coalition of intelligence yes. is, is what he's proposing. Mm-hmm. So here's the problem. Both of these plot lines like represent this idea that it basically drives the plot, but you get no other context to... What are the ramifications of this? Why is this important? Like, or how does this fit in thematically? How is this truly affecting like the characters beyond like a surface level? Uh, you know, beyond the surface level. You know what I mean? Um, because like obviously there's the whole like oh like if this happens then there's no more double O's like there's no more James Bonds and everything. Yeah. And then and- on the other hand with like okay so. To compartmentalize it, the James Bond going after this organization, you don't really ever get any other information other than it's an evil organization. Mm-hmm. Like they like because even the way this movie is structured, it's not like they did something at the beginning of this. Right, because Bond like, is infiltrating right, them. Right, it's 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 not as if like they they made the big statement and they're like, oh well now. We got to find these people. It very, very much is like M, you know, Judy Dench is M is like, hey, I have this hunch about this thing that's going on. You just got to look into it. Which, and then to they, be they, fair, they eventually. I, I, I was just going to say, I get what they were going for because then I think what they were trying to reveal is like, this thing is like the golden goose that is like laying all these golden eggs right. that have been the previous basically bomb plots. Like, I get that like that's what they, they're going they for. They basically then reveal like they, they mentioned these two or three terrorist attacks at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, well, these are all connected to people that go through this organization. Yeah. But it's like, I don't know, but it, it's, it, it seems so because I guess you don't know. In a weird way, there's so little stakes. Well, that's but I think in the movie, I think there's what, no like. I mean, I guess there's the. They, well, there's not really. I was gonna say there's the counting clock uh, or the 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 ticking clock of um, the like the merger. Yeah. But then, but Bond doesn't know about that. He's working outside of jurisdiction. Well, I think so. what I think what it is is like I think they give you. I think the ideas of where the stakes come from are there. Like they uh. give you the the weight of like oh well all these terrorist attacks and eventually they're like oh if like eventually the reveal is is like. Again, kind of spoilers, but just, we're talking about it. I, I always <laughs> these so basically, it's eventually revealed that the Andrew Scott character is actually also Inspector. Yeah, and which the, is so obvious from the beginning. Yeah, of the yeah movie. of course, yeah. it's so obvious. But then the eventual reveal is that oh, when he puts Nine Eyes online, all that information is going to go to Spectre, and then they can basically have carte blanche with the entire world's sure. information. But you you don't feel like so the reveal and kind of like where the stakes would come from is there but they never give you the weight of that reveal it very much is like oh uh once nine eyes goes online they get the information yeah and it's not like oh we're gonna do this with right there's no nothing like that same thing even with the, the countdown clock it's not like as if you know oh once this merger happens bond we're pulling you out we're coming after you yeah like, there's no like, you know it's, it's not as if um you know, it's not like the first half of Die Another Day where there's like people after him or anything like that, or like, mm. oh, we're like we got to get him out, or even well, even in in, in Skyfall, in Skyfall, there was a little bit, at least for a majority of the movie, there was a little bit like of the the holding hostage of the information, so they have to figure this out, otherwise this guy is going to like crumble MI six from the inside by like revealing all yes. these identities right. and getting these yeah, people like killed. Yeah, like the list. Yeah, but. The thing is, like everything, and also everything in this movie is so casually done without like cinematically presenting it with any like true importance because you don't even really get a sense of like 
so even if Spectre gets this, what are they going exactly. to do? Like, and no- then it's like muddied because of who Christoph Waltz is, yes. which we'll get to in a minute. So both plot lines, and then like, and again, when you go back into, um, I there's a very fascinating group of article slash film articles out right now about the Marvel movies. Mm -hmm. And I, they're all very fascinating reads and everybody should go read them. But there is like part of the common theme about them is like talking about how they fit in the real world and politically and stuff. And I'll be honest, I'm very, I'm much more lenient in like a Marvel universe or in a comic book universe. Whereas I feel like, this movie is so entrenched in the real world, and obviously you want to play a little bit loose, but to not even give like a real proper context with these, with these, uh, with like M and these characters about what this means outside of like we need secret agents. It's like no, we need satellites. Grr, you're the <laughs> bad guy. Yeah. Like that kind of seems remarkably thin. Yeah. to me. Because, well, I mean, like because because Ray Fiennes gives his speech. It's like you know you need to know when to pull pull it, and you need to know when to not pull the trigger, and all that. Which sort again of stuff. we already did in the last movie, which we've done. <laughs> yeah. Um. And even even to an extent in in Casino Royale, that was kind of kind sure of the whole deal of that movie. But it's like there there is like this sense of like, but it's all it's just all spe- not specific. It's yeah. all just like it's almost like very cynical in a way because mm-hmm. it's like kind of like this message of like like the idea that they present is like let's put all of our intelligence together under one roof, and then like Ray Fiennes is immediately like that's not how the world works. Mm-hmm. Which is very, like, and again, I'm not even saying that that idea is good, but yeah. it just seems weird that, like, the movie would be just that so steadfast in, like, just, you're just supposed to guess that double that the uh, MI6 is just the good guy. Mm-hmm. So that whatever they're representing is always, like, the good thing. You just think there would be a little bit more, like... Again, with all these movies, I'm not even looking for, like, you know, them to explore the moral ambiguity. It's just, like, just write out your character is a little bit better. Yeah. Like, it's like, because, because you're, because as I said, Andrew Scott is clearly a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Like, so that he's not even representing it. So it's even framed as, you know, that, all right, the slimy guy is trying to like take down the MI6 program. Yeah. And at, at least like, and again, I kind of turned on Skyfall a little bit, but at least there was like, at least they gave the bad guy that thing of like, all right, you're part of a system, man, and like this is why it's bad. Like, and if you like get out of that system, you can make your own missions and stuff. And at least there, it wasn't as thin. Like, mm-hmm. it may be still as black and white, but at least like you kind of understood where both characters were coming from. Yeah, and where both characters were like, I mean, in like the ambiguity of like M saying like, oh, just take the shot at Bond. It just, it was just so remarkable how like just thin it all was. Yeah. Yeah, and, and again, there's nothing weighty about it. There's nothing that gives you that, oh, like this, this is bad. Yeah. It's very much as like they tell you this could be bad, but there's nothing that's like, oh, like you're, like you're really invested in them saving the day. Yeah, and that remains true with with the world, and that remains true with like kind of the characters as well. Yeah. Well, okay. Oh boy, I think I okay. I want to talk about Christoph Waltz in this movie. We got we got it. So okay, so eventually we finally got here, ladies and gentlemen. It was him, James. The author to all of his paint. And it was just, it was one of those things. It was in all the trailers. Yeah. But I guess I did not put together how, do- okay, so this was another, all right, Um, what's the actress's name Um, in um 
she plays Talia al Ghul. Fuck, what's her name? Marion oh, Cotillard. Yeah. So if I remember going into this movie, this was another Marion Cotillard situation where no, we're it, all just like, it's a Mary. Oh, he's he's definitely playing Blofeld. A, well, right? Listen, it, it's it was Marion Cotillard in uh, Dark Knight Rises. It was Benedict Cumberbatch yes. in. Um, uh, Star Trek uh, into Darkness. Star Trek into Darkness, and the same thing where they're telling you, "Hey, it's not this character." Yeah, you know, "Hey, he's just playing Franz Oberhauser. He's not Blofeld." Yeah. What are you guys crazy? He actually is Blofeld. So, but we don't want to tell you anything. So the first thing I guess I should talk about is Christoph Waltz himself. Yeah. I like Christoph Waltz, but I think Christoph Waltz has shown that he, as talented as he is, he is a director's actor. Mm-hmm. Like a director really needs to get a good performance out of him he's never bad but there is a reason i feel like in a lot of these more mainstream things he's been in he's just not quite as good as he is in like inglorious bastards or he is and he's phenomenal in like those movies and he's even like good in movies like big eyes which is like you know tim burton and and, like even alita he does some good stuff in it in alita yeah did you see alita i did oh i didn't i didn't remember that um but it's just like the thing is like because i feel like he is this you would think that because of the way that like you know he speaks and the way that he acts that i almost assume like he come you think he's just going to bring christoph waltz to the role which i guess they kind of said that they felt he did yeah but cuckoo yeah but i don't know if he's that kind of actor no, I, don't I don't know th- yeah. like he's not like a, a christopher walken where he's like if he just does he's not like a christopher walken or a jeff goldblum where if they just did their thing then it's inherently entertaining like i don't think he is that speaking of interesting actors a uh, listener of the podcast jim you know jim yeah uh brought up that bill nye did read an audiobook was the voice in the audiobook for Moonraker. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Did you know about that? I did, yes. Oh my god, that's that's interesting. I, I would want to take a listen to that. But so anyway, he's fine in the movie. Like Christoph Waltz is fine. He's kind of doing his Christoph Waltz thing but without like an actual passion director behind him. I, I just don't think it it's quite as powerful as as you think as you think it would be. But then also it's just like like who is this guy? Like what is like yeah, and then <laughs> well, and this I mean, really, this has got this gets into what we've discussed before on this podcast with the Ernst Stravo Blofeld character. In that there is nothing to the Ernst Stravo Blofeld character. Mm-hmm. Every single, every single time that character has been on screen, it's been a different character. Yeah, like there's nothing similar between any of the Blofelds, and that's one of the things that makes this movie even especially frustrating. Especially considering the fact that they they're trying to do the reveal that it's Blofeld. Mm-hmm. Because, okay, when you get to, like, yeah, Marion Cotillard in Dark Knight Rises and Benedict Cumberbatch in uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. Yes, both of those are stupid that like, just come out that they were the, the character. There's no reason to hide the surprise mm-hmm. when it's very obvious. But at least in both of those movies, if you have knowledge of those characters, there is, an, there is like, an excitement of, like, the potential... Like, oh, it's really Talia. There's immediate context. There's immediate of who context they are, yeah. of who they are within the franchise, and especially in in Dark Knight Rises, which in uh, within that trilogy. Mm-hmm. Whereas 
when you do this reveal where it's like, oh, by the way, I'm Ernst Robert Blofeld, there's no meaning to it. Yeah. It's not as if, like, oh, we're going to get those classic Blofeld well, stories. I mean, but, like, the most you could do is that he's going he's gonna to kill his wife, which they didn't do, and it doesn't look like they're going to do. And so when you really get to it, it's just like, oh, it's just a name. That's yeah. all it is. There's nothing that that name adds to the character. Well, it's very similar to the con thing, too, where, and also in movie, the problem is, is that there's, like, this big reveal of the name that doesn't mean anything to anybody but the audience. Yes. Right. Like, yes. Like, in the story, it really doesn't mean anything that this character's name is Blofeld. No. Like, it, it, it doesn't. Because it is, the whole time, like, Bond knows who he is. Mm-hmm. So it's not like... Well, I mean... It's it, so poorly it done. Mu- it's, so, <laughs> it's so very much what you just said. It's an reveal specifically for the audience. Yeah. And that never works. Yeah. Like, it doesn't. Like... Like, listen, okay, like, we all knew in Winter Soldier that Bucky, like, you know, that people who read comics yeah. know that Bucky is Winter Soldier. Yeah. That and they, one and, the same. and to be fair, they did not hide that in no. the marketing. They didn't really hide it in the marketing. Yeah. But still, within the context of that movie, that re- reveal happens. And, you know, people in the audience are still like, what? But yeah. then, in the movie, it affects the character. Because well, long term, the reveal has to be more in story and of character. Yes. So it's really uh, irrelevant if it's a surprise or not. Like you, you have to like those reveals have to be in context with character. Mm-hmm. Like, and the thing is, like Blofeld, I don't, I just don't think is a character you need the reveal. If like, if you just said like, oh, he's Blofeld. Oh, but I would lighten up a little bit where it's like it could even have more ramifications in plot too. Like. But it doesn't. That's the problem. Well, like yeah. it, it just it literally is just, oh, by the way, I changed my name to a famous Bond villain name. Yes. Like And like and like right before it's like the one appearance of the white cat. Yeah. Like the one connecting thing between all these Blofelds is that white cat. Even the even the unofficial Blofeld in For Your Eyes Only had the white cat. But you in this movie he doesn't even have it like at all times. It's just like, oh, the white cat at one point jumps on Bond's lap mm-hmm. and he's like but, oh, by the way, my name's Blofeld. Yeah, but and it's like the it's character, my mother's name. And, and to me, it's also the fact that again, Blofeld doesn't have a character. Yeah, there's nothing. But like yeah, when but, when the movie first came out, I was very much on that. Like, and I'm still kind of like this, where it's like, do you really need to make him like family? Like, could you just like, do we need to always connect it to like the character and the villain? But like, it, like, because could it you just not make it like it just a classic villain? But also, after having watched all those other Blofeld movies, to me, I'm also like, well, why not try something different? Because when you look at those other Blofeld movies, like, each one maybe has one interesting thing about them. Mm -hmm. But, like, at the end of the day, they're all kind of meaningless. Mm -hmm. Like, I still kind of like the one in On Your Majesty's Secret Service just because they did something different where he's like, oh, he's kind of both physically intimidating as well as brainy, which is kind of different than the other. Like, the one thing they do differently than the other three Blofelds. But... So, but the, here's another problem with this, though, is that, so, Bond knows, though, like, the, it, it's very, it's written very weird where Bond, like, sees Blofeld, which, all this naysaying about Blofeld, I will say the big boardroom scene and the cinematography and how they present him as a villain, that's pretty badass. Yeah, it's, it's, that's very, really it's cool. very reminiscent of those original two, Blo, like, the original two Spectre appearances of Thunderball and uh, yeah, uh, From I Rush did. With Love, and we've always agreed that From Rush With Love, with him in the shadows and kind of doing the intellectual organization, is the most interesting Spectre's ever been. Yeah. So kind of trying to capture that even if it's not in the same way, is kind of like still intriguing and does set it up where it's like, well, if they if they continue on with this, this could be something interesting. But they kind of just 
do that reveal right away, and I feel like it kind of just sucks the air a little well, bit out it, of it. I just think it's cool, like, the whole, like, oh, he's at the thing, and then, like, like a bunch of stuff happens, and then unrelated, he's just like, welcome, James. And then he's like, ah, he knew he was there. That was kind of cool. But they kind of imply that once Bond sees him, he knows exactly who he is. Mm-hmm. So there's not even, like, that mystery of who is this guy. Right. Like, Bond is pretty certain that, like, well, oh, he, that's that guy. Because he's being chased by Hinks afterwards, and he calls Money Penny while, she, while she's betting someone. Yeah. Ooh. I thought that was fun. That was that, fun. That yeah. was a fun scene. Um, and... To, to explain just real quick, it's like he calls up for Money Penny for a question, and then Money Penny has somebody over because it's late at night, and then they kind of have like a wait, what? You have somebody over? And he's like, yeah. It's like at this time of night, it was. Yeah. That was one of those really human fun moments yeah. that was like, but oh, ba- like I believe these two like are when friends. She, when he makes the call, it's like I need you to look up Franz Oberhauser. So both, he knows both, both before and after his death. Yeah, and then. And then like, do- it would be different, like, if we he was looking for a guy, man named Blofeld, and if they had to do this thing, like, then he sees him, he's like, wait a minute, that's this guy. But the thing about it, though, is, like, and oh, there's so much to say about just him, because he really is a microcosm of a lot of stuff wrong with the movie. But the thing about him as a villain is even terrible. Yeah. Because when you really think about it, he doesn't really, he hasn't done anything. So, oh, God. So it is revealed in this movie that Oberhauser, aka Blofeld, is actually the son of Bond's adopted adoptive father. Yes. Yeah, so after, after in the last movie, we learn that Bond's parents died in a climbing accident. Right. So then we get to the next step of that, whereas Bond has at some at one point an adoptive father. Yeah. Hans Oberhauser. Yeah. Um. It's funny that they are called Hans and Franz. It's kind of really funny. Um, Hans Overhauser and that Franz Blofeld basically felt that he was pushed out of the nest. Yeah, he like, thought he like thought a, Daddy like, loved Bond more, so I'm going like to kill a, Daddy. Like a cuckoo bird. Yeah. He, so he's basically a jilted sibling who, oh boy, it is implied that he has now spent his life like fucking with Bond, yeah. Be so, and again, it well, gets to the also, famous yeah. line of yeah, the, our was, quote for the episode: "It was me, James. It was me the whole time. The author of all your pain." Never, and again, they don't give any context to what that means or how he did it, other than like, "Oh, everything that's happened to well, you in the last three movies is partly my doing." Yeah, like, but it's what? Also, but it's also like because so basically, how he words it is that one, all of the three previous villains of these movies have worked for Spectre yes. essentially so um Lashif yeah um Green yeah and Silva which is the one that really doesn't oh, make sense Oh they progressively make less sense because Silva like cuz like uh, cuz okay so Lashif you didn't really know too much of it. Like, all right, I can kind of see, like, well, maybe that there's there, some connection there. there. There were always the mysterious, like, people he had to pay back. Yeah. And we kind of assume it's quantum, but it could have been, like, oh, really, it was, like, Spectre. Yeah. Like, that was the whole thing. Then Doc, then Green works for Quantum, which, again, over the course of the movie, we've kind of, you know, maybe established Quantum, like, merged into Spectre, or, like... Maybe qu- it's a branch of, spe- branch like, of like, Spectre. Like, who knows, yeah. yes. But then you get to Silva, yeah. and Silva's whole thing in that movie was like, I have no boss. I do whatever the hell I want. Yeah. And maybe, yes, he could have been a high-ranking official inspector, but at the end of the day, it really does, with the way that Silva operates in that movie, mm-hmm. it does not make any sense that he had like an overseer. Yeah. Like, it does not make any sense 
that, oh, by the way, I like I, I also had Silva kill M. Yeah. Which A doesn't you know Or you could at least do like like he knew this guy Silva had a grudge, so he gave him the tools or yeah, something but, to but, complete but, his plan. Yes, and if you were more specific in that, yeah. like you could have done something. But then also also uh Blofeld, Falve Overhauser also says that hey I've killed all the women in your life right which one isn't true yeah because they completely skip over that girl that was in quantum of solace so he yeah. just gets no mention no I, I unless you're assuming that he oiled that one girl like he ordered Gemma that. Gemma Arterton? yeah unless he ordered Gemma Arterton to be oiled well and, yeah but you could have you know you could have thrown you could have thrown quantum and then the he did it and then he well, I guess like he's taking credit kind of for M's death. Well, he's like, yeah. So I basically I killed all the women in your, your life. I killed Ava Green. You know, remember how important she was to but you? But he didn't though. Like he didn't do that. No, she died in like the middle of a giant fight. Like he yeah. didn't orc it. Like, but, but it makes no sense. But, it, but like but that's the thing. That's what's really weird about it is that like he's just like he's he seems like he's the mastermind behind like Ava Green and and, and Judy Dench's death. But in both cases, he didn't really do anything like specifically to do it. He just put them in situations that like they may or may not die. Okay, like that's the thing. All this said, like th- that's kind of like us, like fan and like kind of like plot, like minutia that we're talking about. Because at the end of the day, what does this mean even for him as a character, or like for both of them? Like this is like a huge revelation, and it doesn't seem like that big of a deal to anybody. That's that's really what it is. And because like when he finds out that like okay. As ridiculous and dumb as it is that they're making this claim that he has been involved in all of these previous movies, what does that mean? Like, we get this revelation, and again, without the proper context, I guess they're trying to be like, oh, this threat is so big, which is also – you're also failing because you haven't presented him as a big threat this entire movie. Like, they haven't done anything other than like, ooh, they're spooky. That's, like, the only thing they've done. Right. And then, like, going into this movie, like, he says that, and it's, like, it's not enough without the context of, because I think that they just want to be, like, oh, he w- he was responsible for all that. That's how much of a villain he is. But then it's, like, no. Like, that doesn't, so I don't feel any of that. I don't know anything that's going on. And then, like, for Bond, Bond's, like, oh, man, that's crazy. Yeah. Like, what? Really, it's but because it, it also feels like like one you could say that he's you know the thematic should be that Bond has moved on from all this tragedy, but you one you don't present that. But it's also just remember how important all of these things have been to Bond, like how big Vesper is as a person in Bond's life that still kind of rings true even into Quantum, um, and like you know, obviously Skyfall's its own thing that doesn't mention it. Um, and it's supposed to be kind of its own standalone movie, even though, you know, this kind of tries to make the connection. But even the M death is like very much like this. This still was like, yes, he is working with Ray Fiennes now, but he's still following M's orders. Like right. M is still like an important player in just and in it's terms also, of his comp- conscious. And you don't know, you don't have any of the context of how, of Bond's life. So like this whole like, oh, like Oberhauser killed his father that was like, you know, looking after Bond. Like, so does Bond care about that? Is there an yeah. element of like revenge in that? I, I don't. There's just nothing. There's yeah. just there's nothing there. <laughs> it really is baffling to me. Like I was like so thrown by just how little it all seemed to matter. And then so he gets like so it's this big revelation that should recontextualize a lot of his upbringing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But 
it doesn't seem to have that much effect. Meanwhile, Leia Sadu comes around. Mm-hmm. Who? All right, I want to talk about this too. She just comes around and basically convinces him that he needs to leave. Like what? Also, can can I just talk about this? So earlier in the movie, like how does Leia Sadu get introduced? So in the movie, there is this whole thing early in the movie about like we need to find and kill the Pale King, and who is the Pale King? But Mr. Mr. White. White. Yeah. So Mr. White, the man who escaped alive in Quantum of Solace. Okay, escaped alive in Quantum of Solace, and like as facts. In fact, it's what's funny is that they did film a death scene for him at for a coda in Quantum of Solace. Oh, went with the Vesper coda, and instead, and so this allowed them to bring him back. But first of all, so let's and also let's remember like who Mr. White is. Mr. White is honestly the the true author of some of Bond's pain in that he is the one that's really kind of directly responsible for the death of Vesper yeah. in terms of that movie. Like, killing the one person, the first person to convince Bond to get out of it, of many people to convince Bond to get out of it. And the the love of Bond's life, you know, the greatest love he's ever had is Vesper. And Mr. White was the person who, like, or kind of, caused that to happen and that you know she's he's the one who's working for quantum and caused Vesper to turn on bond mm-hmm. so he finds he finds mr white bond does uh in you know this basically this dirty uh, this dirty house and and he's dying that uh he's been poisoned by specter because he's gone against them their tra- their human trafficking arm mm-hmm. and bond is just like i need to find I need to find them. I need to find where can I find them? And then he's basically like, "Yo, go to my daughter uh, here uh, in in Austria, and she'll tell you where the American is. And if you go find my daughter and protect her, she'll tell you where to go." It's just really crazy that that's again. It's just like, oh, and then he meets Doctor Madeline Swan, yeah. who is in fact the daughter of Mister White. And it's just, I don't know, it's just like, I get like he's probably over that, and that that's how the rest of the movie presents is he's at over all that, but it's also like. This was a guy that you pretty much like, you know, you went after, didn't get, and he also like basically was responsible to, for killing your, sure, your, sure. your true love. Yeah. And now you're just going to go fuck his daughter. Like, yeah. that just seems really crazy to me. Like, I don't know. This just seems very much like a weird and also a power play. Uh, what did you, what did you think of Lacey do in the movie? Fine. Like, I, I really don't have much to say against her. Yeah. I think she does some of that, you know, she's just kind of, I think she does play well off of Craig. I think at least initially, I think there's some nice little back and forth between them. Um, I kind of like their little discussion in the hotel room, even though it does kind of get into kind of the daddy issues type of deal mm-hmm. where, you know, like he's like, you know, you're going to be my new, you know, protect me like my daddy wants and stuff like that. Yeah. Kind of gets into that really weird thing, but I like, I thought she was fine. I thought, I liked yeah, her. I thought she was okay. Uh, I, you know, she is, uh, I think she's, she's, she feels a little bit natural, but not really because like even it just feels like, it feels like every time they do a bond girl, they're not a real person. But like M and Money Penny are like great characters, mm-hmm. or like the way that they play them is so like human and naturalistic. And then when you get to like Monica Bellucci, or you get oh, to I gotta like, talk about Monica Bellucci. Real but quick. like if you get to like her or Leia say do they play it as kind of like they're in like this mystery noir movie, mm-hmm. and it just it doesn't really work. It's like when Bond's out in the field, it's a completely different tone than the rest of what's going on but and you can't really do that when you're inter because that's ultimately what this is doing like they ultimately say like both plot lines are involved with each other so like 
Um, so eventually they both do coalesce. And then at one point, Leia Seydu leaves the movie, and then which she becomes a damsel in distress, but whatever. But she leaves the movie, and then the movie circles back around to Bond being like... And what's weird is like... Bond at the end of this movie makes this like declaration, I guess, that he is retiring or that he's yeah. leaving. I get no sense that that was the conclusion we came to. Right. Because they so haphazardly told this big story. And then by this point, you just don't know what what they're getting at anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's like and that goes from like character wise because like it's so messy. Like they don't do anything with the stuff that should affect the character, but then they haphazardly end up the character with like Leia say do. But then just plot wise, like it just seems so inconsequential what's going on. Because even them stopping the villain seem because again they do that dumb thing where like the way that they build up the allure of the villain is like they go like he's everywhere like it's like it's like there's a it's like there's no stopping him mm-hmm. like they do that despite the fact that throughout this movie they don't he doesn't do anything sneaky or like super villainish up until maybe the third act yeah. in which he like somehow it's, makes like a Joker Arkham Asylum yeah he turns into the yeah. Riddler and like turns the old MI6 building into like a maze for Bond to get through where like oh now the like the targets are are like popping up, but it's got your face on them, Bond. Yeah, and, and it's, like, it's like and again, here's a picture of like Lashif somewhere. Going back to the movie, going back to a movie I still didn't love. At least like Silva was tr- like had this like point that he was trying to make, and he had like this kind of like crazy like kind of like uh, like mentality of his view of the world. You don't even get that with. Like, cause like even like uh, like Blofeld's always like he's like oh like uh, Andrew Scott he's a visionary like me I'm like what but what is your plan like what like what are you doing other what, than what being you- just like a very bland standard I'm a super villain that's in charge of the world's biggest computer yeah like and you don't even know what he's going to do and then it makes it all worse that it seems like everything is kind of solved very easily oh yeah that that third act is like very easy that hey like m like you don't feel like when they win they're like oh boy we dodged a bullet yeah like you just don't feel that again you don't have the stakes of like what are they going to do with all this information yeah they're just going to really like like even if you did do like we will just take over the world like that's what we when we have all the world's secret information there's nothing that can stop us yeah you don't get anything of that weight yeah but and meanwhile he's like picking on this one guy right and then, yes, like what? And then picking yes, and then it's, it's all really a means to like, you know. Screw, I just don't. I'm sorry. I just don't buy that at all. No. Like that as like a plot point in this movie. We've been talking about this for a long time. I do have a couple other things to talk sure, about. Sure, sure, yeah. Things that I liked, uh, Batista. Yeah, Batista's Batista's good. Batista's. I, I like think Batista. It's a, it's yeah. In terms of a solid henchman, which again, something that really Craig has never come up against. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just nice to have Craig have someone that's physical. Uh, I I honestly do like that first car chase. I like kind of the gag that Bond doesn't know he stole the gadget car, so he doesn't exactly know what it does. He never got the like rundown from from mm-hmm. Q about it. So I kind of like that. I kind of enjoyed some elements of of the the snow chase, even though it was my favorite snow chase ever. Um, and the train fight, like it's again, we've seen better train fights, but I'm always down for a good train fight. Like yeah. I'm always down for like a real fun little train fight, and it just seemed like very physical and and just kind of you know Batista. Plays that physicality really well. Um, um, I I did like um, I I do like that M Money Penny and Q get a little bit more yeah. on the action in this yeah. one. I, yeah, I just I, like. I gotta walk. I, so I gotta walk back a little bit 
in that and last time on the skyfall episode i did say that i hate ben winshaw in both of the movies Mm -hmm. i don't necessarily hate him in this movie he's still not my ideal q and but he's i think he does have some funny moments with with bond i think like him reacting to bond stealing the car is great um, I do think that kind of his little thing where he's like Bond's intimidating him to like not track him for 48 hours is kind of fun. Yeah, it's fine because I actually may go. I just I like the cue of agency. No, but that's that's the thing, though. Yeah, that's the thing I like uh, more so that I don't think the Ben one really gives us that much. Yeah, of. But it's just like but it's the way they wrote the character. I he's mean, yeah. kind of like kind of bumbles his way into He's Blonde's too- plans. Yes. Yeah. Blonde's plans. Blonde's plans. All right, listen, I, I just got to quickly touch on the Monica Bellucci stuff. Yeah. Because one, okay, it's not weird that Bond fucks an older woman. Yeah. It's like, it's not weird. It's perfectly acceptable. What is still kind of weird is that she is the wife of one of the assassins Bond killed in Mexico. Yeah. So then he goes to her white, her husband's funeral and then he's like, "Oh, I'm I'm life insurance." And then she's like, she like kind of knows like what's going on here. Then he shows up at her house, and she's like, "You killed my husband." And Bond's like, "Yes, I did. All these other people are gonna kill you. You need to help me find this guy." And then like, "Oh, well, if you find this guy, will I be protected?" And there's like, then they get the kind of the the tension of the scene mm-hmm. of like, "Hey, yeah, I did kill your husband, but now I am going to kiss you." Yeah. And they, you know, and that's the kind of like that kind of like. That kind of like don't they try to backtrack that though by being like oh like the marriage was more one out of function than they were actually yes. like married but also but it's like yes but but that's the thing though they do they do kind of say like yes but like you were just there to like be protected by him because you know people were after you and it's like yes but we still like you know we still like respected and loved each other sure yeah 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 but it's yeah. just like it's another kind of thing where it's just like not on the level of like having sex with the woman who was like sex trafficked. Yeah. But it still is kind of like a broken like woman whose husband just died. Her protection is gone. Mm-hmm. And, and you're, you're confronted by the man who just killed your husband not too long ago. And now he's like confronting you about finding this person. And then you are going to have sex. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, it's just weird. And I don't know why Mendez has it kind of both of his movies. And even like, even going to that with the whole, that Leia's, is a little weird that it's in both of his, it's in both movies, of these movies. Yeah. Plus in terms of Leia's say do being, you know, and then, even after he's like, "Hey, you let my bond commit, you let my dad commit suicide, and I hated my dad, but I kind of liked my dad, and now I view you as kind of my new dad, but not really because I kind of love you." No, but see, but this is, but this is also like a dumb thing where they like do this whole like, like Blofeld's like, "I want her to see this that like the dad shot himself." Yeah, but it's like, I mean, I listen, I get that may must not be a great thing to see, but like, what is he proving with that? Um, it's and then, so thin it, it, that that's basically because we got to start wrapping up. The bond but tortured, it's like, there's bond gets tortured by yeah. drills, and then yes, there by is a dentist chair. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, the explosion. Uh, I we did say. This, oh yeah, yeah, the explosion. The, the explosion of Blofeld's lair in Morocco and in, in Tanzania. Um, hold held the Guinness Book of World Record for the largest film stunt explosion. Uh, it included. Uh, 8,140 liters of kerosene Jesus. and 24 charges with a kilogram each of high explosives. Jesus. I mean, that was effective. Um, my, my, my kind of overall statement about the movie is it's like, again, I know I've been repeating myself, but it's like, it's super, it's super thin. And it's a movie that tries to take the, the shortcuts, uh, the, the shortcuts of like retroactive world building to build up, like a threat and intrigue 
uh, but the choices it makes to do that are either very thin and unrealized or not done properly or not the right choice at all. In the case of like making bon- like uh, uh, Blofeld the brother, they don't follow through on like finding any sort of like thematic or character based uh, ramifications of that. Um, the and then the shortcut narratively of the stuff of making it relate to all the other films once again thematically doesn't fit into anything and it just seems like to be this very weak shortcut to uh to yeah. try to elicit some sort of like drama and stakes to the point that ultimately it's a stakeless movie it's like you don't know is like the world at stake is the reputation at stake and like the little bits of stakes that they give you are you know what I'll go for it are so undercooked that you can't you, you, the stakes are undercooked in this one nick I get is, it. is what I, I would I say i got it yeah it's definitely talking about it i think it's I still there's a part of me that still likes some of it, but it does kind of continually feel like the Craig that I kind of almost least want to return to. You know what I mean? I I'm really kind of just done with Craig, and I just don't know how I'm going to feel about 125. Yeah. I really wish we were getting a new Bond. Yeah. Like I really do, because I just don't. I think. Uh, well, we'll talk, I, I'll talk well, about more in the aftermath. Well, I mean, we're there. We might as well segue into like we're talking about Craig. Yeah, like this is the final, not the final movie, but right now we're for, at the for end now, of it. and it's we should talk about Craig. These, this watch and these series of movies have confirmed to me that Craig is my least favorite Bond, and I don't think it's a fault of his. Like that's the thing that frustrates me most about Craig. I don't think me not liking the Craig films is Craig's fault. I think Craig for. For all the things around his movies, Craig does give that effort to try to make something out of his character and his bond. And I do think when I've been doing this research, and really in some ways how he's gotten very involved in the creative process of these movies, not necessarily the writing, which again, he kind of said he retired from writing movies in Quantum of Solace, but even in the production of Skyfall and Spectre, he's still very much involved with like, well, what what are my stunts going to be and how can I do this and and what you know, he's looking for directors, and he's looking for actors to work mm-hmm. with, and stuff like that. And I think Craig does give his efforts. And we've said on this podcast that the little bits and pieces of Craig that are like more traditional Bond, like the little bits of humor he gets to show, and the way that he gives comes up dives in some of those crazy action sequences, like it shows that he could be like an absolute like ace Bond. It's just the problem is that none of the movies have really committed to being Bond movies. Like, they are, you know, Casino Royale is probably the best of them in the sense that, like, it is the most Bond movie at heart. In the ridiculousness and the stunts and just the way that story is told, it is just, it is, like, Bond but lower key. Whereas the other ones, like, they just do feel like they kind of go in between, like, we're Bond movies but we're not Bond movies, you know what I mean? And I just think that that kind of gets Craig into some trouble as a Bond. That you really never, as I said, he's never had a defined mission. Like, he's never had the mission movie. They're all like, oh, well, he's kind of had a mission, but we're kind of going around and doing all this, you know, human stuff, which like, you can have in the mission movie. Just have him go to M's office, get a mission, go out. That's what you need Craig to do. And it's like, he's not going to get to do it based on the plot synopsis of Bond 25. And it's just hard for me to say that I like him more than any of the other Bonds we've seen. Yeah, I think overall watching these movies, I mean, I think it's a no-brainer. Uh, Casino is the the best one mm-hmm. out of all. I mean, the rankings of these are, are fairly easy to me. It's it's Casino, uh, Skyfall, uh, and for me, Quantum, and then this. Um, 
the thing about it is like you're right. I think you're spot on where it's like there's this little bit of like they have none of them have been have just gone ahead and been like a Bond movie, which I don't know if that is as egregious um, because I think that there are ways that you could have worked around all of this. Like I, I actually think like this movie may have benefited from being a standard Bond movie that, like I said, reveals some more personal like story uh, elements to it. But my biggest thing is like they had committed to trying to really hone in on like making this Bond character real and telling a story with this character, which is why I kind of have this feeling that the next one they're going to try to make their end game where it's like they're going to try to be like th- to get you invested in the fact that this is the last Bond mission. But the thing is like unfortunately – the Bond franchise is built that any movie can be the last one, yeah. I feel. Yeah. Like, there's none of these movies where it's like, this is the final Bond movie and now we can move on. It's just, it lives in that territory of that a new person can be Bond at any time. Like, you're attached to the idea of Bond, not necessarily the character, like the actor who's playing him. Um, and so, so the fact that they've kind of went that direction of trying to make this real deeper story of bond but then also like kind of haphazardly like tell that story like sometimes they want to tell that story and sometimes they don't want to tell that story Mm -hmm. and like like you know which is weird because they give bond in this movie like all these big like they give him the big decision of leaving but when you really stop to think about it they never actually tell the story of who bond is like casino royale they do and in Quantum, they kind of flub it up a lot. Mm-hmm. And then in Skyfall in this one, they just kind of like they they reveal like bits of information like about him. Like right. they, they reveal in Skyfall the stuff about him um, and, his childhood. and his childhood and this one even more so. But it doesn't work because it's just information they give you. It's stuff that Bond already knows. So you don't get any like how that affects him as a character. And then it just doesn't fit in anything else other than very simple plot details. I am So like, you're just getting away from all the stuff that makes the franchise potentially entertaining and and for all that work, I don't get the sense of who this Craig Bond is other than mostly mean and gruff and funny sometimes. Yeah. And 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 I and it, this was the movie that There's, like it and- just they ran out of gas. And there really is no layers to the character in the same way that you get layers to, you know, Connery's and Moore's and even Dalton's, I think. I think, like, the problem that they've had, you know, and Pierce had kind of the same problem in that those movies never evolved into being something different. And it's kind of the problem with Craig is that I think they've tried. I think they've tried to go different directions, but really they've always kind of gone in. Well, now Casino Royale was the gritty reboot. Now we've got to kind of keep that tone. Mm -hmm. And even when they've tried to be lighter in stuff like Skyfall Inspector, where there's a little bit more humor to it, they still try to keep like, but we're we're serious and really like born, which I also feel is very much not where the industry go has been going. Mm -hmm. Like, I think if you like, listen, what is kind of the more successful, like action franchises now it's Mm -hmm. like mission impossible, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's because you have the team that's very funny. The movies are, you know, it's like basically Mission Impossible has kind of overtaken what that Bond franchise was. Is yeah. that you have Tom Cruise, he goes on the mission, he has his team, it's funny, it's crazy action, you know, crazy, like record breaking action. And the movies kind of, you know, and even the way in which 
um, the last two Mission Impossibles have connected each other has been much better than the way that any of these Craigs have. How it's just like it is a sequel. They've all kind of like they're all kind of their own standalone thing. But then these two, like you know, they're it's still like Fallout is still its own movie, mm-hmm. but still okay. It does bring new light to things that connect to well, um, but uh, Rogue let, Nation. But let's be fair about it too. It's like. You can get away with, like, having a character who's essentially just, like, the personality. Like, mm-hmm. you don't need to make a deep character. Yeah. And the fact that they you don't need to do that, they haphazardly maintain that and then try to tell a story with this one. Like, the Mission Impossible movies, I've often joked about, you could just start calling this character Tom Cruise. Yeah. Because, again, uh, no disrespect to those movies, but nobody cares who Ethan Hunt is or who he is as a character, they put enough in there to keep the drama at least somewhat but, like but that's, natural. But I think that's the difference, though, is that they do put in enough effort to yeah. be like, oh, when Michelle Monaghan shows up at the end of Fallout, like, I get invested in that. Sure. You know, I still get invested in Ethan Hunt's, you know, drive to save the world and his care. But the thing, here's the thing, I really think this, is that, the best of Craig's moment in these past two movies I've honestly been when he cares about like people like Money Penny and Q a little bit. Yeah. Like like the, like that little human element. And that's what like Ethan Hunt has. But I feel like like we've talked about this in previous bonds, like with Moore. Like when Moore is very much like at the it, for all that movie's faults, more at the end of Octopussy, when he cares about destroying that bomb at the circus, and you really get that sense of like he wants to save the world. Mm-hmm. And Brosnan has that. Brosnan has that like in those again, all those faults of the movies that you he's like he, I've got to stop this person. I've got to stop you know uh, my best friend. I got to stop this woman that I do actually kind of care about. Electric King, even though I do care about these people, mm-hmm. I got to stop them for the sake of the world. Yeah, Craig never gets that moment. Craig never really gets that moment. Right. Like even like in Skyfall where they try, like it's just it the way they structure that last act doesn't work, and you just you never get that sense of like. Craig is out there as a spy to be well, for the betterment of people. Yeah, or it doesn't need. My point is, is like the, these don't need to be deep characters. You just, you don't. In my opinion, you can give right. them enough character, but they don't need to be these deep characters. If you want to make them a deep character, then you've got to follow through on it. And this move, and this franchise, this portion of the franchise has done little of both. Yeah. As far that's how I right. leave it. Uh, just be very quickly. Other aftermath stuff. Sure. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So the movie does come out in November um, of a worldwide release in um, November 2015 uh, premieres in Britain in late October. Um, this movie grossed $880 million worldwide, mm-hmm. uh, which was a step down from Skyfall. Skyfall did reach the billion mark, um, but this one was a step down. And there was a lot of debate about why that was. Um, did 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 the movie get overhyped? Did Skyfall actually bring as much hype as you know it? People thought it was. Mm-hmm. Did people actually respond to the Spectre name? This, this is actually something that a debate within the Bond fandom is like how important people hold Spectre. In that there is that kind of sense of like, oh, Spectre, the classic Blofeld and stuff. But then, did that have mainstream appeal? Did that have appeal that like people? I I can vouch for that and say no. It doesn't. No, I mean, but that's the thing we've realized. Because when and they, it's the thing I realized watching these movies is that it doesn't. Because I actually, when they revealed what it was, I could tell that they revealed it in a way like, oh, this is a big deal. But I didn't know any yeah. of like, what is Spectre? What does yeah. that mean? Yeah. Right. So, so um, and also the big deal about this too is that um, Sony was not happy with the results of this movie, despite it becoming the second highest grossing Bond movie of all time. So Sony, um, if you remember the famous email hacks, yeah, um, 
there were emails revealed that Sony was not happy with the budget. The budget was, you know, in that 250 to 300 million range. Mm-hmm. Um, Sony put up 50% of the, uh, uh, the budget for the movie. Uh, and only got 25% of the gross back. So they lost a lot more money than they expected to do on this movie. Even though they did make a little bit of money on it, it was not as much of a windfall as they thought. Mm. And basically at this point, the, the Sony, which had been releasing the Bond movies, essentially since Casino Royale and kind of that, you know, and kind of the way that that worked, um, basically they were, they were done, uh, that Sony was going to drop the distribution of the Bond franchise after kind of not being happy with Spectre's uh, release. Which comes into now uh, Universal has taken over the production and the uh, mm-hmm. distribution rights. Yeah. But that's kind of the end of the Sony era. Uh, well, you know how they could save it, you know, when a franchise goes to pot? Bond into the Bondverse. <laughs> oh, that would be the greatest animated movie of all time. Yeah. Uh, this movie also is noted, as we, just, as we were just talking about Craig... Uh, for the infamous reaction to Craig, oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. after this yeah. movie, Grumpy Craig, Grumpy Craig, who said that he would rather slit his wrist than do another one of these, and basically did everything in his power to say that he was going to be done, mm-hmm. even though Eon was very much like we do hope to have Craig back for one more Bond movie. <coughs> Obviously, they worked all those issues out. But it was a very big deal for a very long time that Craig was very open about the fact that he did not want to come back. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I remember it was a it was a big thing. But he is back. <coughs> he is. He will be coming back for Bond Twenty Five. Yeah. Him and Rami Malek gonna yeah. square off. Let me guess. Is he going to be of the 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 new age of technology and the Double O program? Is is uh is no more oh my god i just oh we'll see we'll see what happens we'll see uh yeah i i wasn't i i I wasn't a fan of this one yeah it's um um, and uh, also critically this did not do well mm -hmm. um 64 percent on the rotten tomatoes scale um just kind of very much like uh you know it's um nothing new nothing exciting and people did not enjoy kind of the, the thin nature of the plot. Yeah. Though the the general consensus was that the standout was Batista as the henchman because it was just like kind of a modernized classic Bond henchman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And that is us being catch up. But first, before we move on, the oh, last thing we right. need to do, yes, yes, yes. We, we need almost to talk forgot. about Harrison Ford. So who uh, is Harrison Ford in this movie? Um, He is a train conductor that when uh, Hanks gets thrown out, he's like, no ticket? <laughs> Either that or like he he could have been the father. He could have been Hans Overhauser and then like, you know, he kinda like like little Christoph Waltz is like really mad because he's like, Oh Bond, you're you're the coolest kid in my family now. They should Bond. do one of those flashbacks where they like flashback and it's him and then it's just like a little kid's body with Christoph Waltz's head. Yes. Like on him. And like he's very upset and like pouty. Yeah. He's like, hmm, my daddy doesn't like me. Cool, cool. Cool, cool. And then and then Harrison Ford's like, stop saying that Oh, my word. God. You can just tell that they wrote that, and then they're like, oh, Christoph Waltz is going to sell the shit out of this, and it's just fine. It's whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so we are all up to date on the Bond canon. Yes, yeah, so that officially wraps it up for So no the- more podcasts. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Yes, so this officially wraps it up on the Eon side of the Bond canon. So the official Bond canon that has been around for over 50 years now. Uh, we've caught up to it. Uh, I think we'll wait to do a really big reflection on the Bond franchise, probably till the very end of the podcast. I think that will be more make more sense. 
Um, but we do have some things to get through, though. Because, one, we have lots more Godzilla episodes to go. But don't worry. There will be Bond and Bond-related episodes to match those up with. Mm-hmm. So, down the line, we're going to have a lot of non-Bond things. Or I'm hoping to do some things with the Fleming-verse and talk about like the books a little bit more. But to start off with, in terms of our bonus bonus, our bonus bonus, our bond bonus, uh huh, we do bonus bonds, bonus bonds as well. We do have two unofficial non-canon Bond films mm-hmm. that we both be getting through over the next two months. Cool. So the first one we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to go back to 1967. We're going to go back to the age of psychedelia. Mm-hmm. We're going to go back to crazy Peter Sellers comedies. We're going to go back to when Woody Allen was a really respected member of the film community. <laughs> We're going to go. Did you want me to react to that? Before? No, I, just, I was trying to think if I was going to tease anything else. No, I was like, I think that's going to go itself. to the 1967 comedy Casino Royale. Awesome. Can't I'm wait. very much looking forward to this. I think we're going to make a big deal. And out then of what? This. And what's the? And then what's the movie after that? Uh, and then so our other fun official Bond movie will be the 1980s remake of Thunderball by one Kevin McClory. Uh, the return of Sean Connery to the franchise, Never Say Never Again. So those are the two unofficial Bond films, and we'll get a chance to take a look at both of them over the next two months. Cool, cool. Um, but Nick, I'm sorry, you're just you're you're gonna have to move aside. Bond's gonna have to take a break for the rest of the month because this the rest of this month really belongs to the king, mm-hmm. the king of the monsters, Nick. Uh, dude, I'm so excited for the rest of this month. We are going to have so many. We're gonna have a couple different shows, but uh, for our official episode, we will be stepping into. As this era of Bond has ended, well, not quite ended, but as we like, you know, somewhat yeah. semi end. As we as we end the, the the true Bond side of this podcast, yeah, we are stepping into the newest era of the Godzilla canon with the Godzilla Millennium Era, uh, with Godzilla two thousand. And with a title like that, how can you not be excited? And so that's going to be fun. And then, of course, at the end of the month, we will be getting the release of Godzilla King of the Monsters in theaters May thirty first. I cannot wait to see it, and I think we I, we're going to talk about like how we are going to deal with with that because uh, you know we we will be talking about it. It will not you won't have to wait until next year until we reach it in the proper in the proper, proper order. But uh, yeah, so um, uh, that should be fun. Um, long live the king! And um, until then, I'm done. We're done. We're done. Yeah. All right. So it is time for the plugs. It is bonzillapod at gmail.com. Still waiting on that Space Jam stuff, guys. Give us an email. Uh, you can also find us on twitter.com slash bonzilla007, facebook.com slash bonzilla007, like or subscribe, iTunes, and SoundCloud. So uh, just give us a like. And, uh, we, we've had some more likes and reviews, and I'm enjoying, you know, hoping you guys are enjoying the podcast. All right. Well, after all that time, Nick, it was finally good to see who it was this whole time. The author of all of all Bond's pain. Yes. yes. Epilogue, prologue, the whole thing. The whole thing. So yeah, uh, testimonials. So this is the end <laughs> of this episode. Yeah. I'm Nick. And that's Will. And do you know what would have been a greater reveal at the end of the movie? No. If instead of Blofeld, it was our favorite sergeant from the Live and Let Die movie. Oh, no. He's like, Pepper. I'm going to put you in the pokey tonight, James. I am the author of all your pain, y'all. He just like, he, oh my God. He's like, I, I studied to get rid of the accent. I'm, I'm such, oh God. But he slips into it at the end. Oh God. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye.